Hello, everybody. This is Schmitty with another episode of Talking Schmidt. Uh, this is Joe Raposo, childhood friend of mine. I think I met him in 1989, maybe 86, actually, like in the 80s we met. Put it that way. Most of you were still 30, you know, like that's how far back it goes. Joe Raposo, you might have heard of him. He's bass guitarist for the punk band rich kids on lsd rkl and now he plays in Lagwagon. he's done a lot of music but he grew up a skateboarder and we're going to talk today and catch up i haven't talked to him in like 15 years so you're going to have to excuse me for overdoing it a little bit we had three hours of conversation which means i broke this one up into two episodes so today will be episode one probably have episode two on friday with the youtube with both of them together so you youtubers that just had to come over and listen to it today thanks for joining us i like you guys over here i like you guys at the youtube platform too though don't get me wrong anyhow blood wizard's been backing us since day one and i back the shit out of them my homie toad is a you know partner over there and he came over and did up our electrical for me this week and he also mentioned that the future is gonna be me and him interviewing Hansi Driscoll so that just is in just now and I want to also I got a lot of news but I'm gonna try to keep it brief but um the other thing I want to tell y'all is Friday I'm gonna have a raffle and it's 10 people entry once the 10th person enters it's closed so you're going to want to be on your computer hit and refresh on talkingschmidt.com and once that thing goes up you got 10 items to buy they're all going to be 20 dollars each and that enters you into a raffle all 10 people will win something besides what they purchase the first prize top prize the winner, I don't know, you kind of win no matter what, but the number one thing we're giving away is a skateboard deck. Black Label, Elijah Ackerley. Uh, I, I appreciate all that you guys have done all year supporting me, and this is my way of giving back. And I'm also trying to get rid of the last few items of my merchandise so I can have a little extra room in my cupboards yeah so friday at some point probably in the morning or afternoon not at night but you never know the raffle will be born and it's going to be talkingschmidt.com and it's the first 10 people there's only room for 10 so look forward to that and i i really feel strongly about you guys coming to support me on friday i know you can do it um let's try to get that thing sold out hella quick and then put the put the raffle up real fast and draw names and get you guys your prizes before christmas what do you think it's all up to you you've been warned this friday talkingschmidt.com the raffle of all raffles winner.com winner winner chicken dinner i don't think so winner winner sheen dinner This is Little Joe Raposo, and you're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. 
Wi-Fi check one, Wi-Fi check two. Woo! All right, warning, the following interview may or may not lead to stories better than Wonder Years and Stand By Me. Nick, Chad, Mike Alcantar, Larry, Oscar, Kessler, 650, this one's for you. And it goes like this. I met this dude on a bus ride. I was going to the farm in San Francisco to see a punk show. He's on the bus with skateboard and his friend Mike Alcantar. We're, we're instantly drawn to each other. They tell us about a pool. We tell them about the punk show. Next thing you know, this guy's an RKL. I'm working at Thrasher. So this is going to be the story that goes into all of that. And, uh, dude, I don't think I've talked to you for like 15 years. Welcome to the show, Joe Raposo. Uh, thanks a lot, buddy. Um, it's, it's good to see you. It's good to be here. I love your podcast. Uh, you are doing a great service to the skateboarding community. So mm. thank you very much. Um, sharing all the stories with all these legends throughout the years and um, it needs to be done. And thanks for doing it. Yeah. I feel like the more times that we, you know, you have, I have both lost people that were real close to us. And, and when those things happen, what's the first thing that goes through your mind, man, I wish I, man i should have and so my life turned into i gotta fucking record some of the stuff with these special people that i know because you never know when someone's gonna leave and i just my my memory's not that great so i want to have it you know documented and so super me stoked too. <laughs> me too in fact it's gonna be really hard to like remember this stuff so i was actually talking to mike alcatar this week and and we were just like catching up and and then like uh reminiscing about like the old days like san mateo skates like the the redwood city crew how we all met uh how um how we got to like meeting uh people in the skateboard scene in san mateo learning about the spillway or probably the first skate spot i ever skated that was like Same any kind of transition right like yeah even though it was like this it was still pretty fucking burly you For know sure and cutting your teeth on that spot like really taught you a thing or two about riding hills riding transition and then just meeting a whole bunch of like really cool people like uh who was it uh joel who who was like pretty much the ambassador of the spillway because he lived like up the hill right, right? up on uh Alameda or something right off up there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He would come, he would come rolling down, I think from his backyard down the hill with like a shovel and a broom and, and his whole like constitution would be to roll down there and sweep it up and get ready for the day. And if you were uh, on top of it to get there super early, you would see him, you know, like he would be there and he'd be getting everything ready. And it's pretty radical, man. And he taught me a lot about skateboarding because I 
shit, at that point, I, I never rode any kind of transition or anything else like that. I think I probably did some hill riding and stuff. But once you got like a piece of the spillway, like it was addictive. Like you had to always go back there. And I would skate from my house in San Mateo, where it was like by the 101. I mean, you've been to my house before, right? Remember yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the Sunny Bray. And so it's like right by the 101. And I would almost like what? Go over Hillsdale, almost go to like the the top of the 92 and skateboard there every, almost every day when I was like 14 years old, just to skate that place. Yeah, I've told the story before, but when I bought my first board, it was at Go Skate, which was on 41st in San Mateo. And the guy, I don't know if it was Larry or not. I can't remember. I kind of feel like it was Mark uh, Dale's son. And he yeah. said, go to this spot. And he gave us directions and it was the spillway. And I remember walking in kind of a timid kid and there's like older dudes, which I don't know what that means at now, because it could have been three years. It could have been 10 years, but they were yeah. definitely smoking and drinking. Oh, and yeah. this was kind of new to us, like, whoa. And it was just that cool feeling of this is a world that like mom and dad don't like, you know, like we're doing something right now. That's like our shit. And like, once you started rolling on those trannies and stuff, like you said, it was just like, oh my God, you wanted to go faster. You wanted to get up higher. Then they started building those uh, wooden roll-ins so you could get more speed, come in, and then they'd have like a, a bank on the other side. I don't know if they ever put a tranny, but I know they had like a, a like a taller wall and stuff. And then, man, it just went from there. And, and, and years went by before you and I and Mike and the San Mateo guys kind of connected with the Redwood City and, and I was from San Carlos. Um, but it was just so like the story, there's so many fucking connections that like over time, you're just like, oh my God, because here we are back again at Ghostgate, which was our local shop. We're smoking weed, we're fucking drinking, we're checking out the new Gons when it comes in, looking at Mark Gonzalez in the mag saying, hope he's in every issue because he's our favorite and like doing the run down 41st, hitting the Ollie bump and learning wall rides. And then Oscar, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Like Oscar Polchowski kind of, I feel like he kind of opened the door of connecting us maybe with Bryce and that led us to Ray Myers ramp and then Tobin starts coming down and Bryce is shooting photos. And the next thing Mike's in sick boys, like it's just insane. There's, yeah. and the crazy part for me is I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is a window that's like this. It was like 85 to 88 or something like, like two or three years, all this stuff happened. Yeah, it like, was when, when we re like now, obviously, when we first started skating, I think when I first got my board, it was like maybe 82 or 83. It was like fifth or sixth grade when I got my first board. So, yeah, but like, were you born and raised? Where were you born? Because I know where you were raised. Um, I, I was born and raised in San Mateo. So the, the house that... Um, you know, that, that you visited uh, when we were skating together way back in the day. Uh, my parents still live there. My parents are still alive and they still live in the same house in San Mateo. Amazing. And that's where I, and I, that's where I was born and raised. And I see them about like two times a week. I try to go and visit them. I'm now in San Jose. Okay. Uh, I've, I've been in San Jose for about uh, 12 years and, 
And uh, as you know, like living in the peninsula, like like going to San Jose is like going to L.A. to skate, you know, sometimes it's like so far away. Going to San Francisco, not so much. You know, we used to go all the time, you know, Fort mm-hmm. Miley, um, the HP ramp, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the dish up at, at Hunter's Point, too. You know, like those were always the first stops because they were like really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but like San Jose, it was like one of those places where it was like, you know, kind of hard to get to. But uh, once I moved up here, I realized that it like, you know, has a big, huge skateboarding community. It always has. And it's For it's sure. pretty rad. And the cops don't fuck with you here at all. If you're skateboarding, they actually encourage it. So Damn. it's so it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's cool, dude. You can skate anywhere you want in San Jose and cops will not fuck with you at all. The homeless will, but the cops won't. Yes. You know. Well, the but, thing but San Mateo, go back to San Mateo. Yeah, that that's where I was born and raised, and and that's where I started skating. And then I met Mike Alcantar when we were eight years old. He his parents moved in on that same block on Carlisle, mm-hmm. and um and that's when I met him for the first time. You know, and then Dave Ron, who's in who was in RKL and in Lagwagon was right around the corner on Guilford. He was the first drummer I ever jammed with ever. No we were like way. 13 years old and we're still in a band together. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. I knew he was from San Mateo, but I didn't know he was that close to you. Did you and Mike get into skateboarding together then? Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. My, my first introduction uh, to skateboarding was my brother. So my brother always had the cool toys. Like my parents would never buy me shit. In fact, my parents were like pretty, you know, they, they were middle class, but like they would would not, they were old school. They wouldn't spend a lot of money on extracurricular uh, toys or activities and things like that. And mm-hmm. my brother had a paper route. So he would buy the skateboard. He would get the BMX bike and he would get all that stuff. And I would get the hand-me-downs. So my first skateboard was uh, just like, um, a sims and it was i don't know what what model it was but i know it was a sims and it was pretty much you know like your your token 70s banana board type of thing just really thin you know like a like a five incher or something like that and and um and it had sims wheels on it i forget what trucks it had but dude it it was like it was pretty hard to ride. It okay. was really hard to ride. I mean, I fell on so many side sidewalk cracks on that thing, you know. But <laughs> after a while, like my brother got into BMX, he just gave me that skateboard, and so I just rode that thing everywhere. And so that was my first board, and that was my introduction to it. I don't think Mike Alcantar was even skating at that point. Oh. Um, yeah, and then it wasn't until uh, middle school uh that mike and i started getting into skateboarding because um i believe that uh my next skateboard after the sims was an alva it was alva that i scored from uh someone around the corner that was just selling it and that was like my real skateboard you Mm -hmm. know and um and then uh we went to middle school and that's when like i think the like the skateboarding surge happened. You know, there was like, there was like the Caballeros, the the Hasoys, you know, like all those like 
gleaming, glossy models that had everything, copers, tail guards, yeah. nose guard, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like everything, like all the accessories, all the peripherals, like everything. And so that was like sixth grade for me. And, um, and I remember, uh, me and, a, and another friend of ours, like, and, and I know this is like bad skateboard karma, but like everyone put, would put their skateboards in the office, you know, to like save them so they wouldn't get stolen. And me and my friend ended up, ended up stealing a skateboard <laughs> brand new in the office. We're like, no, this is ours. And then, and then we, um, and then we stole the board and we start disassembling it in the bushes somewhere and and I guess the kid who had the board, he was like crying, and and it was like, you know, his special board, dude. It was so sick. It was a it, it was a brand new Hasoy. We were like, that kid doesn't deserve that. We deserve this board. And so we're we're partying it out for our skateboards, like the wheels and everything else. And we got busted by the shop teacher. Mm. Found us. They were looking for us, man. And we got we got busted by the shop teacher, and and then I we we went to the police off you know the police department, uh-huh. and um, they they basically you know called our parents. They didn't book us or anything. I mean, we were young. We were probably about like 12, 13 years old or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and my parents came and picked me up, and my dad was so fucking pissed at me. He took my Alva that I paid my own money with, and fucking smashed it with a sledgehammer in the backyard. <laughs> I was there. He wow, said, don't ever steal again, or uh, this will happen to you. You know, <laughs> I was just going, oh my God, dude, this sucks. I mean, he, dude, he fucking obliterated that thing. He, like the trucks were all fucking bent. There's wheels flying. That thing, that thing was in slivers, dude. And it was like, <laughs> Cody Alvin, I was like, Oh my god. That's cool that so you crazy. took his rage out on your board, not you though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so well, well he, he made, made he made me watch too, which was, you know oh, a little pain. Yeah, yeah. It was a little traumatizing, you know. So so like the next board that I got, I really appreciated it. And then okay. and then for my birthday that year, my my dad actually bought me a Veriflex Vectra. <laughs> That I was like, God, this is a piece of shit. But I didn't want to, you know, like tell him, you know, like, hey, man, it, it's cool. Just thanks for buying a new skateboard, you know. So, yeah. Huh. What What middle school did you go to? I went to Burrell. Oh, you Burrell. did. And yeah. then you went to Aragon or Sam? Where'd you? Uh, Aragon High School. Okay. And was Burrell the one that we skated, like that had the small handrail and the small uh, water faucet, like Oscar did a wall ride over it, or was that Abbott? That was Abbott. It was? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we'd always do that. And then Oscar would do those sick, like, dude, Oscar was so fucking such a sick skater. Such, yeah. so innovative too. Not not as innovative innovative as as Pete Colpitz, but like, dude, I remember he would do like these crazy wall rides to Grimes, like up like way high, like five feet, you uh-huh. know. And I was like, holy shit, how is it? How is he even getting up there? But dude, just he would like manhandle, take all his fucking. Oh weight yeah, he was a big dude, powerhouse. It. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I don't know what came first, but um, Oscar had, 
I think it was a subscribe ad. It was like a full page ad in the mag and he's doing a wall ride off a loading dock and grabbing, I think slob it's front side. So it's kind of like high to low. And that was actually in San Carlos, like where I grew up down okay. in the warehouse district. And then probably right around the same time is Mike getting the uh, couch potato ad for venture where he's doing a wall ride. I believe it was over Mickey Reyes maybe um in that school and that same day julian did the front board out in front it was like that was a crazy day but like these were huge influences for all of us and it was also at a time that street skating kind of just started like taking over and vert skating was dying and there was this new thing and you guys seem like when i met you guys you were already like jump ramp champions and like starting to do wall rides and stuff. And it was like really early on. And I just remember like, like a front side wall ride with no hands was insane at that time. And, and those were going down in San Mateo and stuff. And then we would find the bank to walls and like the, uh, I remember Mark Kessler was the first person I saw board slide a bench at the mall, Hillsdale mall one of those wooden ones he would just and i think he put two benches together and did a double or something but these are just like things i remember in my mind that are like man this is pretty good like what's in the mag right now comparatively it's better but not that much better like these dudes are really good at skateboarding and i was like lucky enough to have like photography as a background and i i wasn't as good as them but i was trying you know and i would be taking photos and stuff and, and we just really bonded and we had um ghost gate as kind of our as our clubhouse if you want to call it like larry was always working it was always a good time we'd meet up there sometimes we'd meet up there early and go up to uh Pacifica Devil's Pit and and Fort Miley Chad Blakeney would do it and then we'd come back but uh yeah I mean too many memories yeah yeah so many memories I mean shit like, like at that point you know it, skateboarding was was our lives I mean like you know we would skate every fucking day every day no matter what um hands down like we would skate you know, and, and having Mike just right down the street from me, it would just be like, we wouldn't even plan it. We would know that we were skateboarding. I would go knock on, on his door and he'd be like, okay, man, I'm ready. And then we'd skate from San Mateo to, to uh, Belmont to go skate. I mean, almost Belmont, you know, mm. and, and then we would start our day there. And, and it was so cool because like, you know, a lot of that stuff, like I said, was not planned. Like you would cruise over there or someone would cruise over there and they'd be like, well, what do you want? What do you guys want to do today? Uh, where do you want to skate? And then we just like get in a car and go somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. it was so rad. And then until that happened, we were, you know, in the front, we were, you know, going down 41st. We were hitting yeah. that hip, just like you said. And then later on, we built that little ramp in the, in the back in the parking yep. lot and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was always something to do, you know, and, and I loved go skate. I mean, if it wasn't for go skate um, and, and even though I wasn't officially sponsored, I'd always say that I was sponsored, but yeah. like they got a lot of, of, uh, of free work out of me because I would just be hanging out, but they trusted me enough to go in the front and help customers and things like that. And I would do sales, but I couldn't, 
you know, do transactions. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and so Larry would just be back there and he'd be like, Joe, go help these people, you know? And I'd just be like, okay. And I never got paid officially. I never got a paycheck from him. But every once in a while, Larry would be like, thanks for the help. And just hand me the board that I'd want, you know? Exactly, and yeah. Like, Fuck yeah, you know? So, so Dale, those guys got a lot of free work out of me for hardly no pay. Well, the thing on top of that that I just was reminded is that um, stickers were not charged. Like we would charge the customer, but we wouldn't ring them up. So sticker money went into this separate pile that was our beer fund for the day. So at the end of the day, we had a pile of sticker money that never got rang up and we would go get a 12 or however much we had for it. And that was our free beer money. So that was, I mean, we were swindling our whole life. Like, you know, we weren't really rich or anything. So it was like the boards were the boards are still the same price, which is so crazy, but like, you know, they were probably a hundred for a, for a complete 120 or something like that. But um, yeah, it was just like super cool. And the influences that were being brought together were kind of like all, they were just like adding, it was like, we're all into this, but then somebody would bring something new and then someone would bring something new. And it was just like, it was this, big thing we were building together kind of you know and then uh the thing i was tripping on was like nick bancroft chad blakeney uh mark kessler like what's the order that you start meeting people besides you and alcantar that lived on the same street like how did because you already you guys already had that crew when i met you yeah so uh so it all happened um in middle school right oh. so like like I was, I was basically like a, a like a rocker Hesher, you know, ACDC shirts and shit like that. Quiet Riot, you know. This this is like the early '80s, and um, and then uh, Mike Magana and uh, Mike. Oh, yeah. C- you remember those guys? Yeah, Magana for sure. And then what's that other guy's name? I think he went to Sarah, right? Uh, Brad Brad Ridgeway. Oh, Brad Ridgeway, yeah, and Brad too, yeah, totally. So those guys didn't come in high school, but like Mike Magana and and Mike Seabag, like when I was in in the eighth grade, those dudes started getting into punk. So they were coming to school in like army jackets, and I remember like Mike Magana had a, a mohawk, and even though it was like still a Hesher, I had my skateboard, you know, I had my Veriflex and I would take it to school every day. That's how I got to school and back every day. But those guys were skate punks. And and I was like, holy fuck, like what what is all this shit about? You know? And since they had skateboards, I was like trying to like be friends with them. But they were like, who the fuck are you? You know, like you listen to lame music, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like wanting to, you know, like meet them and, and, and see what this whole shit was about. And finally, we just became friends. And that was my first introduction into like real skateboarding and real punk rock. Because I would hang out with those guys afterwards and and we'd go to Mike's house and play punk records and then and 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 look at Thrasher magazines and get high and shit. Yeah. And and Mike McGonga's house, he had the stack of Thrashers and 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 um and he had the weed, 
you know, and then Mike Seabake had had like all the um, the punk records. So we just go smoke weed, look at Thrasher magazines and and listen to punk. And that was like my first introduction. And then so after that, I got Mike because Mike was skating then too. We started meeting those guys up and then and then it was like it was like it was three mics and a Joe, I guess. Right. <laughs> So that was like the first little skate crew that we had. And then, and then we started going to go skate and that's when we found the spillway and everything else like that. So that was the first crew. And it wasn't until I think we went to the spillway that we like met like Alan Biscard. Oh yeah. And, and Pete Colpitz because uh-huh. Alan and Pete were like really, really good friends back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it was like Alan Biscard, Pete Colpitz. And then we became like a, a little crew, you know, like that would be like the San Mateo crew. And then we started finding all those like little weird ditches along the 92. CSM. Yeah. The Salamander ditch <laughs> and the CMN ditch. And Sammy's, right? Was that one? Yeah. Sam, Sammy the Salamander. That was yeah. Sammy's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think that came a little bit later, but like, this is like the infancy, like the real beginning. And then when, when we started, um, going to high school, that actually grew into a bigger crew because we started meeting more people in high school. Exactly. Um, Same. And, and then, um, I think right around high school or maybe it was uh sophomore year, that's when we started meeting you guys. That's when we were ditching school and taking the buses to farm shows and and um you know San Francisco skate spots and and things like that. And yeah. and uh and then and then Go Skate became like kind of like uh a regular hangout at that point too. This all happened uh between Uh, freshman year and sophomore year yeah i remember it vividly that you guys were going to a pool at cappuccino and you were like do you know about the pool and we're like no what do you talk about and you're like there's a drain pool in this high school and you guys gave us the info and i think either one of your numbers or both your numbers and then but we were going to a show at the farm so then later we reconvene and now i think I could be wrong because there was also a pool in San Carlos early on, but I think the cappuccino one was the first one I ever skated. And that was because you guys gave us the in on that. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you though, when Begonia and you guys met up, do you remember at all what some of those records were? Like what are your earliest influences? Like the punk records that you're listening to that really maybe you still in your mind remember because it was so like, whoa. You know, the, the, the funny and ironic thing is that there were those mystic compilations, uh, you know, um, in that mix. And there was also RKL on that too. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, but it was like, it was like the mystic stuff. It was rap music for rap people. You uh, know, remember that record? Yeah, for you know, sure. That, that was like my introduction into, I guess, skate rock too, because Tales of Terror was on there. Yep. There was, uh, there was, there was Flipper. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, there, there it was obviously your your Charge GBH, your Exploited, uh, Bad Brains was in the mix, and Bad Religion too. 
So these guys were on top of it somehow. They they were already in like we we got this shit because those oh, yeah. are like those are influential bands to this day, right? Like Bad Brains Forever, like RKL. I always say this story is like in Redwood City, RKL was one of, if not our favorite punk band, and the guys in Redwood City that were playing in their own band, Discontent. If you listen to them, you're listening to somebody that's totally playing RKL songs, but just new songs. They're they're trying to at least. I mean, you know, it's really very similar, and it was all just homage because that was the band we loved. They were so unique you know like with jason's vocals and bombers drumming it was just like what the fuck is this this is like an explosion of radness like whoa you know you're in and so yeah it's interesting that i don't know was it 87 that like you actually go to try out uh it was yes it was 87 i forget what month it was but yeah it was it was definitely in 87 and um dave dave cotter so to elaborate on your point right like i was actually jamming in a band at that time that sounded like rkl too was that morning boners <laughs> uh that was morning boners was before that time that was oh. like that so i think first it was like morning boners then it was like terminal oppression right with joe markey and and uh dave cotter was like part of uh, part of all the all these bands and then i think morning boater was a, a conglomeration of of redwood city punk rockers and san mateo punk rockers right because wasn't it scott who was in that band yeah i think so right? yeah. yeah and um and then and then we and then we formed Terminal Rage uh, with Joe Markey and Sean Yearsy, um, and uh, and then that turned into Terminal Oppression, <laughs> and then that turned into Wild Style. That's when most of us at um, Aragon, because we skipped so much school and we were skating all the time and shit like that, we had to go to continuation school, and and so we went oh, to yeah, Peninsula. Or Penn, yeah. Yeah, Penn State, we'd call it. <laughs> and uh, and they, uh, Penn State had a fucking uh, the pool, pool there, too. Yeah. Where the deep end's in the deep middle. Pool. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so, we would, so, we would, uh, so we would skate, like, the, the corners. So we would drop in on one side, right, and go all the way down, come up the other, and then hit the corners, like the little corners on the, on the side. I remember that. But it was gnarly. Like, I think it was uh, – I don't know, fiberglass or something like you would inhale oh, yeah. all this gnarliness. Cappuccino was also fiberglass too. If, if okay, you yeah. 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 And then you would inhale all these fiberglass fibers and stuff like that. We didn't give a shit. So <laughs> you know was, was Wild Style the band that kind of was similar to RKL? Yes. Yeah. So it was Wild Style at that point. And basically we were like an RKL cover band, but playing originals, you know, but it sounded like RKL songs too. So, uh, so yeah, at that point, um, Dave Cotter had seen uh, flyers for RKL looking for a bass player on hate street. And he was trying to convince me to try out for the band, but at that point, like I was more into skateboarding instead of, of music and music, you know, even though I was like totally into it, 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 
it wasn't as important to me as skateboarding was like, I wanted to see if something could, could happen. Like, you know, because right. I mean, we were devoting our whole time into it. I wanted to see, you know, Mike at that point, I believe was, was already sponsored by, um, by venture, you know? Yep. And I felt like, you know, if I just like, like just practice even more, maybe I'm not too far, far behind, you know? Kessler was sponsored by Vision, I think. Like they would send him stuff anyway. Like yeah. some of our dudes. And then we met Oscar and he was on SMA. And then we're like yeah. skating with the city guys. And like it's just like this could happen. And yeah, I, I think like if you stayed a hundred percent, but that's kind of one of the things I always wondered about you is you were probably as good of a skater at that time as you were a bassist, you know you were very talented in both areas and it must have been like at some point you got to pick a road you yeah. got to just devote everything to one because you can't just be the jack of all trades you got to be the go this way and just fine-tune this craft and rkl is like probably a childhood dream so getting that opportunity is like well let me let me see what this is about <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I think the the uh the thing that made the choice for me is that um when when I joined the band and and we did our first European tour, we got like fucking huge in Europe. Like we we ate shit for three months in or I think it was like two months in Europe, but we gained like this huge following. So when we came back the next year in like eighty-eight. Uh, no, it was at 88 that we toured at 89. Um, dude, our, our shows, like we were playing squats in front of like 150 people at first, you know? And then when we came back, we were like, we were like selling out places that were like 800 to a thousand people. And this is like fucking like 89, you know? Mm. Uh, and I remember before the 89 tour, I had been skating back behind ghost skate and I, I had fractured one of my fingers on my on my left hand uh-huh and and i was like and this was right before the tour and i'm like fuck what the fuck am i gonna do you know so i went to the doctor and the doctor's like well it's a hairline fracture you know but you, you're gonna you're gonna have to splint it and so i did that whole tour with like a, a fractured finger on my left hand and I would I would ice it every night and then heat it up, like put it in really hot water before every show to play. And then I would splint it when I wasn't playing. So at that point, I, I you know, I was like, if this is getting dangerous for my music career, I need to, you know, like kind of find, a, a, you know, a happy medium. Okay. So I still skateboarded, but like I still have this rule where where I won't skate like maybe a couple of months before I go out on the road. Or when I'm out on the road, I won't skate just uh -huh. because, I mean, there's so much involved. There's like, especially with big tours and lag wagon, you know, it's like, I don't want those other guys not to make any money because I decided to go out to, and skateboard and hurt myself and not be able to finish the tour. Right. That makes sense. Hey guys, I wanted to let you all know about Magic Mind, a once a day shot that can go along with your coffee to increase your focus dramatically, reduce stress, and give you added energy. I just started taking this to see if it'll help me with daily work focus and improve my sleep patterns. Who knows, it might even get me to start yet another podcast. 
I got myself a case and have started my daily intake and after a few days I've noticed that I wake up not needing coffee as much and my energy levels have been less up and down throughout the day. I shared some with my right hand man at work and I have a couple friends that have started taking it so we can all be on this journey together. Starting in January, you will find it in all Sprouts Farmers Market stores across the country. If you have a Sprouts store nearby, get down there and grab a few bottles to try. After you're hooked, you can get a subscription with up to 50% off with my code SCHMIT20. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-2-0. You also can go to magicmind.com forward slash Schmidt if you don't have a Sprouts nearby you. And again, use my code SCHMIT20. It's Christmas time and Magic Mind is a great gift idea as well. If nothing else, your purchases will keep these guys supporting our show, so why not try a case with our promo and see for yourself if it works. That's magicmind.com forward slash Schmidt and the code is Schmidt20. Start your journey today. We got to talk about this tryout. Like we go to the city. I, I drove you up. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one. I think you had two, right? Well, I had multiple like auditions per se and, and Dave kind of like to continue my story from earlier on. Like, so Dave's like, you need to try out for this band. I was like, no, I just want a skateboard. That's what I want to do with my life. And then he goes and sets up an audition without telling me and <laughs> picks me up one day and says, we're going to the city. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he's like, bring your base. So he, on our way there, I'm like, what are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dude, I got to tell you this. I set up an audition for you and we're going to Marin. And it was, that's where Balmer's mom lived at that time. And um, that's where the audition was. And so he's like, you're auditioning for RKL. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, you dick. Like this sucks. I'm not even ready, you know? And then by the time we drove from San Mateo to Marin, I kind of accepted it. I'm like, well, fuck, at least like we'll get to meet some of our heroes, you know, and and like, you know, meet these guys and see, you know, like what the fuck's up and get to ask them like a whole bunch of questions and things like that. It was like, you know, meeting some like legends or your heroes or something like that. Yeah. And so, and so we were like, this is cool. So we went up there and um, and we just sit at Bomber's mom's house. No one was even there. It was so weird. It's like. Bomber's mom is like some some hippie and she's like smoking weed and she's just all like, oh, hi, guys. Who are you? You know, like uh, we're like uh, we're supposed to be here for an audition. We're supposed to meet Bomber here. And she's like, oh, OK. All right. It's, uh, that's totally cool. Do you guys want some weed? Do you guys, you know, uh, want something to eat? And we're like, you know, we don't know what the fuck to think. You know, we're like fucking like 16, 17 years old or something. And. And we're, 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 we're okay. And then she's like, go into the room and just wait for him. So we're sitting in fucking bomber's room. No one's there. We're just like looking around at flyers. And we, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Right. <laughs> we're just kind of like, what the fuck is going on right now? It's just, it, it was amazing. And then, and then bomber Barry come rolling in and they're like, Hey, what's up guys? You know, like, how's it going? Like, sorry to make you wait. And, and, uh, and, and for, you know, like two kids from the suburbs, you know, nice squeaky clean kids. Well, we were totally squeaky clean. I mean, we partied and stuff, but like yeah. here come two like pretty fucking burly, crusty, fucking <laughs> burly guys. Like, 
from the city and they stink and they're like, you know, but they're cool as fuck. Like, we're like, whoa, these are like two of the coolest people we've ever seen in our lives, you know, yeah. uh-huh. and heroes stuff like that too and then bomber comes in and bomber's like the regular bomber he's just like you know off the rails and like all this en- wild energy and shit and he's just talking and he's telling stories how he just got over hep c and stuff like that and like <laughs> oh, first we're impression like, we're, we're like dude can we catch this like what's hep c dude you know what hep c is <laughs> is that contagious yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. oh fuck yeah. It, it, it was gnarly, um, and and what's and what's crazy about it is that they didn't they didn't have um, any amps or anything like that. Like they they didn't even like really um, they weren't prepared for this audition. Put it that way. It was huh. like they just kind of wanted to meet who it was and just rap about like you know what are your influences like you know like uh, what do you like to play blah blah blah. And, and at that oh, point, okay. Um, Dave, Dave and I had like a rehearsal recording of wild style. So we put it in the tape player. We kind of show them and it's like, you know, kind of like RKL keep laughing and, um, you know, uh, it's a beautiful feeling type of stuff off the EPs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, this is pretty cool stuff, you know? And then they're like, here, I want you to listen to this. And they had a fucking uh, tape of the rough mixes of rock and roll nightmare. Which was just mind fucking melting when people first heard it. Dude, I, I mean, <laughs> like that whole sound, I mean, you know, because you know music and then the listeners who know that album too, it's like, that was like leaps and bounds from what was happening in, in Southern California punk rock, California punk rock. It's just anything to what can happen, you know, it's just like progressive punk now, you know? And, and, uh, and Dave and I listened to it and, and being music geeks, you know, we were just like, holy fuck, what the fuck is this? Right. And, and they're like, yeah, you seem to be pretty cool here. Take the tape and see if you can learn any of this stuff. And then, uh, I'll give you a call and then we'll set up an audition in the city. And, and that's when you came in for the second audition and you drove me up in in the orange uh van the van the VW the van. bus yeah VW bus yeah the um the, it was a westphalia right wasn't yeah, it pop top yeah, yeah. Pop top. that was a sweet ride um yeah. uh so yeah you drove me up to the city for that practice or audition or whatever and, and it was uh, barry and bomber again chris wasn't around i don't think chris was around but chris wasn't a part of that whole like audition thing I, yeah, I, I, that's what i mean yeah so so i think that bomber and barry were living together at that time and dan sites so dan sites was living um with with bomber and barry at that flat uh what was it it was by on, the panhandle right like on fell or oak it was it was on fell yeah yep. it was on the it was right across the street from the panhandle on fell yeah mm. and um and so that was my that was my second audition, which, which was basically kind of my first audition. And and Bomber started teaching me the songs at that point. So what was the song that you went in there later to be that was recognized as the first one that you kind of tried to like emulate? Like you just went home and listened to the tape and tried to learn it by listening, right? Like there was no like 
there was no instruction. It was just like, listen to this and try to play along. Yeah. And, and I didn't, I couldn't get any, like my bass skills weren't at the point. My ear was there, but not as tuned as it is now. Now I can listen to stuff and figure it out easy, pretty uh -huh. easily. Like I could jam along with, with whatever's on the radio or whatever. But back uh -huh. then, I, and, and it was like progressive, like my skill level wasn't there. It was like, I was pretty good. But I wasn't good enough at that point to learn those riffs and everything. I, I listened to it, but I was like, I couldn't learn anything. I tried right. to, but I So I couldn't pick it apart. I couldn't learn anything. So when I went to the second audition, I was a little nervous. I was like, hey, I listened to it, but I, I couldn't figure it out. You know, and Barbara was like, that's okay. You know, I'll teach you. And if you can get this stuff, he's like, that you got a good shot, you know, of, of being in the band. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck it. Let's just try to learn it, you know? And, and the first song that he, that he taught me was hangover. Okay. So right. that, that bass, that bass, and I think we worked on that riff for like maybe 20 to 30 minutes and then after I got it, he taught me the arrangement. And by the end of the day, I think it was like about two hours, I had learned that song. And he was like, dude, you did a good job, you know? Like a lot of people can't get this stuff. They don't understand it or whatever. And he's like, you did pretty good. He's like, when can you get together again and, le and learn some other songs? And, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I could do it later on this week or next week or whatever. And then the, uh, the next song was fucking blocked out. So he put me to the test. I mean, he was like pushing me. He's like, okay, he got hangover. Now let, let's see if he could get blocked out. Do you and think in retrospect he was thinking, because I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm not a bassist, but to me, Blocked Out might be the hardest song on the album to play for bass. It's just the most like there's leads and, and crazy quick shit. Do you think maybe he was like, if he can get the hardest thing, and I don't know if it was the hardest, but to me, it seems like it was. Maybe the mentality is like, if he can play this, he can play everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what he was doing. He's like, he put me to the test. He's like, if he can, you know, learn these riffs and, and actually play them pretty decently, uh, you know, let's really put him to the test, have him learn blocked out. And then the rest of the fucking songs are cakewalk. And, and it was, it was true. And it took me a little longer to get blocked out. I mean, that song's fucking like five minutes long anyways, or something, you know, which is unheard of for a punk rock song. It's yeah. like a punk rock, like, like opus, you know, and, uh, and it's later like on, queen punk rock <laughs> right and, and later on which is funny it's like we started adding parts to it like on the live record we added an intro to an intro to an intro to oh, an yeah. intro before the fucking starts it's like we kept right. on adding to it which is unbelievable but yeah i got that and then i think the the next one was a tribute to the jester and after that it was like yeah, dude, you got these songs and you're in the band if you want to be in the band. And um, and then the next show or the first show I ever played with them was like a day at the farm, you know, in front of like a thousand people. So it was insane. Yeah. Uh, that all happened within like short. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit, dude. That's crazy. And like, so the really cool thing too is that like you said, that album, Rock and Roll Nightmare, wasn't even out yet. So no. when it came out, 
you didn't really write like the songs bomber probably wrote most of the stuff but you were with the band as it's being introduced as i mean arguably one of the most influential albums and just like important albums of punk rock history like a lot of these like you know more they blew up bands like even no effects but like a lot of bands use that as like we wouldn't be the same without that record yeah and and fat bike says it all the time you know he's like you know the the two most influential bands to to no effects uh i believe he says well three i think it's like operation ivy bad religion and rkl you know but rkl definitely because no effects just wanted to sound like rkl you know i I think Lagwagon too in the beginning as well before joey started um writing a lot of the songs it was like uh derek plored um and uh 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 uh, why am i drawing a blank um dewey sean dewey um Mm. writing most of the songs and those guys were heavily influenced by rkl too so like the first two lagwagon records are very riffy and kind of metally and 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 stuff like that too in fact derek plord had bought bombers white iconic white uh ludwig kit Mm. so um so yeah, man, like it was a trip, you know, being a part of that scene, being a part of that album and and being recognized as like, I mean, I wasn't the first bass player of RKL, but I'm like the most tenured. So it, it could be like argued that I'm like kind of the original bass player, but not officially the original bass player. You know what I mean? Right. Well, what was the what was the first show like? Where are you on the stage? Are you like Caballero behind the amp hiding, or like are you <laughs> in your full jump mode yet? Or are you in between? Like, what what's your what's your stage performance? Oh, dude, fully like because of skateboarding, you know what I mean? Like to me, like perf- like performing live because I never really got to perform in front of a crowd. That was like the first real crowd. I mean, I've yeah. performed in crowds before, but the only show that that one of my bands ever played was uh, finals week at, at Aragon High School with, with Terminal Rage, you know? And that was in front of, you know, probably about uh, like a hundred kids. And then it just got shut down because it turned into a food fight. <laughs> <laughs> Someone threw an apple at Joe Markey and then Joe Markey took a bite of it and threw it back. And at that point, it just like a full food fight just ensued and they shut it down after three songs. So that was the first show I'd ever played. And then doing a day at the farm in front of like almost like a thousand people. And because I was skateboarding at the time, I was like in full jump mode already because the performance to me was like, you know, like run, like a skate run. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so well, it's I was, always the same. You go to see a band that you love and they don't move and you're just kind of like, oh, like they could be the greatest band, but you want to see at least something. They don't have to go full Richter, but you need them to, to I mean, otherwise you could just sit at home and listen to the record, right? Right, totally. Yeah. And, and at that point, I mean, RKL had been touring for a long time. You know, they already had albums and EPs under their belt and they've done tons of shows. So, so the rest of the band already had like really good stage presence. I mean, 
you know, Jason Sears is, is one of the best frontmen in punk rock for sure. And those guys are already jumping around and bomber the fury behind the drums and Barry, Chris shredding solos. It's like I just naturally fell in with a band that was already just so professional and so good at what they did. And I just like that was so influential to me. I just started fucking rocking out like immediately. And who was on that um, bill? Was Bad Brains on that bill? Who else was on Day at the Farm? Uh, no, Bad Brains was not. It, I believe it was uh, verbal abuse. It uh. was uh, DRI. It was MDC. Um, who else? Who else? Uh, I know there was a, probably about three or four or other bands but it, it all the bands like i think there's like video of it on youtube that you can that you can look up oh, okay yeah i mean the farm for us like we went to on broadway and the mabuhe gardens and even the stone had some punk shows but the farm i didn't go to anywhere more than the farm my first punk show was at the varsity in palo alto and yeah. then we started hearing about San Francisco and we started taking the bus up and it would drop you off right at the farm. So yeah. it was like, it gets on the freeway and the first exit off the freeway is the farm. So it was pretty safe for young kids at that time. It felt like anyway. Um, but yeah, I just remember, I always say this, I think DRI and verbal abuse played every Friday at the farm when they were in town. It was like them and then four other bands or something. It was just like fucking nuts. Did you ever go to the vats where like they kind of lived or practiced for a while? Those beer vats where a lot of punk bands were at? Uh, no, I never, that was before my time. And okay. those guys had moved out of the vats and moved into like real flats in the city at that point. But mm. I heard stories about it and it seems- it's, it's pretty seems, legendary. It's, it's really legendary. Um, and uh, and I heard stories about it, you know, like, like where um, people would actually rehearse in there, like bands would rehearse in there and they and they would have like pretty much kind of like a setup but people were also like living in there too and i think it was when those guys first moved to san francisco they had nowhere else to live mm -hmm. so they heard about the vats and and they stayed there for uh, i think a little while but not too long for about a right. week or something okay like when yeah. i talk when i talked to chris um we did an interview a while back and it kind of felt like he I don't want to speak for him, but I kind of feel like he didn't really like San Francisco that much as far as like he grew up in Santa Barbara and this place was cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, like think about it, like the two different places. It's fucking totally different, you know? Yeah, like, and then they're living in the hot. vats. I'm like, yeah. you didn't get... <laughs> yeah, you were, you were like surfing every day like fucking beautiful weather, you know, where there's beautiful women all around you and rich people and shit like that, you know, and uh -huh. you're just at the beach hanging out, having a beer with your shirt off. And then you move to San Francisco in, yeah. here, in the vats. <laughs> Who is like um, the guy that you kind of connected with the most in the beginning? Like when you're all together, like who are you kind of buddying up with maybe more so than the rest? For me, I think it was it was me and Chris Rest who buddied up more oh, right away. More than when right away, I think we we clicked a little bit more. Um, 
you know, well, I mean, obviously Bomber and I were really good friends and, and, um, and Barry too, you know, but, uh, but Chris, because he's like a little more mellow than those guys at that time, uh, you know, Bomber has a wiry type of energy and, and Barry also like had wiry energy. And, and he was like always up in, in the San Francisco scene. It was always going to shows and stuff. And, and, um, you know, so it was like a lot of stuff going on and I was just like a, a teenager. So Chris was like kind of more my speed because he was a little more mellow. Um, and you know, he, uh, he just, yeah, he was more mellow and, and we, we would talk about music and, and kind of bond more over music and stuff. And it'd be more of like, you know, kind of a cool little, little trip. So I ended up like going up to the city and staying with him more, uh, Mm -hmm. than, than with Palmer and, and Barry. And, and I think it was Chris Rest and I who bonded, uh, first really well even though that like i did have a, a, a special bond with everybody in the band you know um but but definitely chris rest i think so a little bit okay more. but i hung out with him a lot more right and how soon is possibly i mean this is one of my biggest highlights for sure of my life that we drive down to santa barbara where the band's from to play with the fucking Ramones. Are you kidding me? Like we're it, we're with <laughs> Dead Ted. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm meeting all these people that they sing about and we're going to play with the Ramones. Like you just like pinch me. I'm fucking dreaming like this is crazy. And then like, uh, what is it? Bomber or somebody's, I think Bomber's pedal breaks. So the Ramones didn't let them use it. So they ended up, go into some local place to get another pedal and the ramones actually played before rkl like rkl ended up headlining that night i think it was galita i'm not sure where it was exactly but it was in san barbara somewhere yeah and yeah yeah how's is like what that's pretty early that's before the european trip right yeah that's that's oh well let me let me think about that um i think that might have been I think 88 that yeah you're right that was before the European tours yep it it was Um, (laughs) so fucking nuts I know right remember going to the uh to the China Bowl too that skate spot out there it's like fucking like it was like a burly devil's pit yeah was that in Montecito where was that I was trying to tell somebody about that yeah it was i believe i think it was still in santa barbara but it was like kind of going up the hills a little bit. yeah but it was real tall walls really tall walls and and really like kind of rocky and abrasive too so Mm -hmm. if you fell you would get fucked up (laughs) you know like really really bad it was like devil's pit in pacifica you know yeah like that place fuck you up if you fell like yeah, it was pretty bad, but um, but yeah, the 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 Casa de la Raza was in Santa Barbara. It was before our first year European tour, I believe, and um, and it was a hi hat clutch actually okay. that Bob right couldn't find, didn't have, or whatever, and um, and we asked the Ramones if if we can borrow one, um, but they didn't want us to because you know like they only had one and they're like well if you guys break it then we can't go on you know and this is our show and so 
our crew, which basically our crew was just a whole bunch of friends drinking backstage, <laughs> um, got into a fight with their crew. So there was a fucking fight going on back there and they were like at blows with one another and the security had to fucking come and break it up. And we almost didn't play. Ah. Um, we almost did not play. And then, uh, and then I, is it a fact that the Ramones went on before us? I, I want to say it. My memory, like I said, I, my memory is not a hundred percent excellent, but I do believe that they did go on before, but I could be wrong. I definitely was there and I felt like that's how it unraveled. But okay. has, do you feel it was different? Uh, I might've felt that maybe RKL did, but we started like super late. And okay. we all got to play like a half an hour, but, but like you, man, my memory is, is, is a little bad because I mean, when the whole thing was going on, I thought we weren't going to play. So I ended up like just going and hanging out with a bunch of friends, uh -huh. you know, and just drinking. And, and so I wasn't even like really involved until someone came and found me and said, dude, we're going on. And it's like, okay, shit. And then it's like running to the stage to, to play. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, from what I remember that we found it, uh, oh, I think I know what, what what was going on. What was going on was that the Ramones were gonna go on and and uh, because we couldn't find a hi-hat clutch, they were preparing for the Ramones to go on and then they had to tell the crowd that RKL wasn't playing. And so the crowd like started booing and getting really restless and almost like kind of incited a fucking riot mm. because RKL played because that was our town. Yeah. And then, and then the Ramones were like kind of getting a little worried about it. And they're like, Oh shit. Like, this is kind of crazy. Uh, is it, we might have to cancel the show. Yeah. Um, and then we found the hi-hat clutch and got on stage and we only played for about a half an hour or so. So, so we right. did, actually play and then the ramones went on afterwards okay what that, I remember. yeah that sounds like it's it could be possible yeah yeah it is okay. a little foggy that was 35 fucking years ago so it's kind of it's like you know but i mean just like literally looking back i've done a lot of things and that still ranks up super high with like man when i tell people that they're like no way and i'm like yeah we that was i was there i had i had lost the shirt but i had the shirt forever it was too small and almost too faded but i just kept it forever because it was such a fucking badge like for me you know like i was that was an amazing moment like it was really like fucking i can't even overemphasize it but yeah um let's get uh, into I mean, the so me too and and uh and sorry to cut you off but like i just want to say that like playing with the Ramones for me is like, come on, man. That is like such a bucket list type of thing. Right. And that shirt, I still have that shirt, that original huh. shirt. Yeah. And after the show, I got it signed by the Ramones. Ooh, I went, smart. I went upstairs and, and met the band because I mean, come on, man, it's a fucking Ramones. And we're playing with the Ramones. I have to meet the band. Uh -huh. So I went up there and they were really cool about what happened. They were just all like, "Yeah, so oh, you're the, you're you're from RKL." They were like, "Nice to meet you." And 
and sorry about what happened, but you know, like, I hope you understand that we can't be giving out parts for our, for our gear. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that they're apologizing to me about it. They could have been like, Hey, fuck you for fucking getting into a fight with our fucking crew and shit like that. But they were super cool. They signed my shirt and gave me a slice of pizza. And I still <laughs> have that shirt. Dude. Um, and it still has the signatures on it. But even though, um, like it was signed, I wore it like a fucking badge of honor. Yeah. And all of them are faded, but you could still kind of see it. And it was the original lineup of the band too. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, Marky lineup, but, but dude, like, like Joey and Johnny and Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, fucking come on. You know? <laughs> Insane. Yeah, dude. Blood wizards. Blood wizards. Blood wizards. Shop at bloodwizard.com. Tickety tap. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout-out. Love it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Pizza wheels greased.